Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, get the show, subscribe, Apple, Google, SoundCloud, Stitcher, like, rate, review, wherever you get it. The podcast listen on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com. Any questions, thoughts, or recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. If you haven't heard, and I don't know how you haven't heard, Philly Sketchfest 2020 is coming June 3rd through the 7th of this year, 2020. So head to phillysketchfest.com for more on how to submit your live act or your short film, or if you want to volunteer with us. Next week is the beginning of Toronto's Sketchfest, and I'm super excited to be heading north to see a ton of comedy over the first weekend of their festival. The next few episodes will be dedicated to performers at this year's Toronto Sketchfest, and you can check out T.O. Sketchfest for everything that's happening up there. But today's guest is Meg McKay, based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Meg will be performing twice during Toronto Sketchfest, first during the Flying Solo, an International Women's Day Spectacular, on Sunday, March 8th at 7pm, and then a longer set on Saturday, March 14th in the 9.30 block. Meg's first sketch is called Nancy Drew, True Detective. Meg reads the roles of The Corner and Nancy Drew, and I read the roles of a grizzled, world-weary detective, and Mike the random groundskeeper that is very clearly the murderer. So a little bit of a warning. Um, we recorded the sketch and the first bit of our chat while Meg was at her office, and there was something weird happening with audio quality, so I'm going to apologize for that. The audio issues actually got so bad later on that we decided to just pause and reconvene a few days later. So when we get to the interview, you will hear a very noticeable difference. You'll, you, you can, you'll tell day one of talking day two of talking almost clear as day but let's get to the sketch open on music true detective theme song just a handsome family far from any road dissolve to daytime grassy field next to a large tree true detective crime scene Michaela is taking photos, wearing a CSI cop jacket. There is a corpse implied in the scene, but we never see it. Enter Dion, dressed like a detective. Marty, dressed like Detective Marty Hart, wearing a suit jacket and tie, sipping coffee. What do we got here? Absolute mess. Never seen nothing like it. Some kind of satanic ritual. Body is horn strapped to its head, stuck in some sort of prayer position. Doesn't look like a crime of passion. You want to take a look? Let's wait my new partner. They're sending them up from River Heights. Enter Nancy Drew, holding a magnifying glass. Who are you? Pleasure is all mine. Nancy Drew, at your service. Father always says it is polite to introduce yourself by first and last names. I'm very excited to work with you. You're my new partner? You're like 12 years old. I'm not getting paid to babysit. I will let you know that I am 13 and 3 quarters, and I have solved hundreds of mysteries in my career. That is why they call me the Super Sleuth. Well, you can't pick your parents, and you can't pick your partner. Well, what does your pretty little head have to say about this twisted situation? Well, I solved the mystery of the missing puppy by discovering an amulet left behind by the thief. Does the victim have any jewelry that could give us a clue? Sweetheart, I know you're trying your best, 
but this is grown-up stuff. We should be getting you home now. Well, we found the gold bracelet with the name Yellow King engraved in it. Let's take that down carefully and get it dusted for prints. Great idea. Oh, when I was working on the mystery of the Phantom briefcase, I discovered a diary that proved the Phantom was a hoax. Do you think the killer left a note? Sweetheart, this is real detective work. We're looking for a narrative. You have to investigate witnesses, parse evidence, establish a timeline, build a story, day after day. Actually, we found this note bound in the victim's hands. Of course you did. It says, Dear Diary, I did it. I am the Yellow King. Wow, it feels so good to get off my chest. My real name is Mike. Well, I gotta go. I have some murdering to do, much like I have often done in the past. Love, Mike. Well, that's all fine and dandy. Now we just gotta troll the swamp looking for anyone or anyone that responds to the name Mike. Enter Mike, wearing blood-stained overalls, holding a giant pair of gardening shears. Did someone call for a Mike? My name is Mike. I'm the groundskeeper of these here parts. Hi, Mike. Nancy Drew, pleasure to meet you. Have you have you seen any murders, Mike? Uh, I, I ain't seen nothing, ma'am. You promise? Pinky swear. Hmm. Something tells me he is a liar. The detective starts to say something. Nancy Drew cuts him off. Wait a minute. Let's put together these clues. A bracelet with Yellow King written on it, a note signed by a man named Mike, and a groundskeeper covered in blood, also named Mike. Hmm. The victim is wearing antlers. Deer antlers. Deer. John Deere. Lawnmowers. It was Mike the groundskeeper! No freaking way. Even if it was him, there's no way. Yeah, it was me. I've been roaming around these swamps cutting grass and performing weird satanic rituals for decades. And I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for this junior detective. Curse you, gumshoe. Detective Hart, arrest this man. This is insane. You may be the strangest character I ever saw, but this is but that is some of the best damn police work I have ever seen, Miss Drew. Good to know you're keeping the mean streets of South Louisiana safe, Nancy Drew. Safe? <laughs> My life's been a circle of violence and degradation as long as I can remember. Someone told me the time is a flat circle, and everything we've ever done or ever will do, we're going to do over and over again. Nancy Drew walks over to a mirror, inexplicably in the middle of the field, gazes deep into her own reflection, and lights up a cigarette. This all to True Detective Graphic Music, True Detective Theme Song. Hey, Meg. Hello. Uh, so tell me about this True Detective Nancy Drew sketch. Okay, so I was, this is a number of years ago, I wrote it now. Whenever True Detective Season 1 came out, I was like obsessed with it and watched it over and over again and uh, I thought it would be funny if instead of True Detective it was True Detective Drew as a Nancy mm. Drew as a Nancy Drew and Nancy Drew solves all the murders the like unsolvable swamp murders of True Detective season 1. What an interesting juxtaposition a plucky young girl taking <laughs> over the role of Matthew McConaughey's famously nihilistic alcoholic character. Um, so like, what, and was this ever performed? 
Yeah, it was. I wrote it. Um, I went to school at the Hummer School of Comedy in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And um, I wrote it for a class. And then it ended up getting... And then it ended up getting, um, we just did it at school. Yeah. Hmm. How did it go? Like People really liked it. People really liked it. People really like to blow hot air up your butt and tell you you're good at things. So. Uh, like, and you mentioned that you did it while you were at school. Was this like for a class? Like, was this? Yeah, it was for, um, we had a sketch writing class that weirdly enough, like, I don't know if I necessarily want to throw my teacher under the bus but what ended up happening was she read a couple of the sketches that I'd written for her class and was like okay I'm busy I'm working on a television show you need to come in and be head writer for all the sketch classes so I just had to go through and like vetted all of the sketches I did it for free yeah I just went in and reread and punched up everybody else's sketches in class for a show or a class for class (laughs) oh for the like oh like yeah, they wound up being filmed for just like it was like a partnership between the like video and film classes at Humber and our comedy program. So they wound mm. up filming them and then showing them at the our end of the year show. But the problem with it was whoever did the sound mixing for it just made everybody wear lapel mics and then cranked up the volume rather oh. than using booms at all. So it was the footage was unusable entirely unusable anyway yeah that was one of the first sketches i ever wrote still because i'm I, like, I come at this from stand-up i'm a stand-up primarily okay um but like so i mean first off it's really a nice bit of like synergy i guess it's a good term for for like having a writing class and then a, a production class like filming that material so yeah, it worked. We had to learn how to, which ended up all those skills I wound up helping me out when I started writing for TV because you had to be able to write. Like, you're not just writing for yourself and your friends to do. You're going to be writing for someone who's going to read this without you in the room. So you have to be as specific as is humanly possible and use the right terminology and stuff. Yeah, because I, I definitely remember when I was in the first, like, my first sketch group here in Philadelphia, you know, seven or eight years ago my sketches were like littered with inside jokes uh, for us where if anyone else would have read those sketches they wouldn't have understood like half the references i would have put in so that's, that's not very helpful way, right? that's always the way all right so let's go back like what were you into as a kid like do you have like an earliest memory of comedy oh my god yeah i used to um uh, I love stand-up a lot, but I loved, of course, like SNL. We used to have um, on Betamax, of all things, this is the age wow. of on Betamax, uh, my friend's mom had taped uh, the best of Eddie Murphy from SNL when it aired once. And we just like, I would just watch it over and over and over again and like quote all of his sketches that he was in. And I like would skip school to come home early to watch Kids in the Hall I loved them, and I was obsessed with Monty Python to the point of, like, when I was very young, I used to listen to uh, audio recordings of their sketches and then write them out from memory in gel pen. I'm always so confused, because, like, the first time I was introduced to Monty Python was the movie. It was uh, Holy Grail. Holy Grail. And I didn't get it right away. Like, 15-year-old Josh didn't understand Holy Grail. 15? Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, because I, I might have seen like a sketch here too, because like it would have aired on PBS here in America, but like it wasn't a thing for me at all. Like, think and the the whole ending of Holy Grail, I was like, wait, that I watched this entire movie and that's how it ends. Now, oh. granted, like three years later, it totally, you know, I totally get it. I totally got the joke of it then, but like, fifteen year old Josh was unimpressed. That's so funny. I watched all the Monty Pythons early because my father was super into them. And um, my dad well, wasn't, so I never got that. You know what's funny is like a lot. I talked to a lot of other comics who were just will defend James Bond movies till the end of time, and I'm like, why do you even like them? Like they don't make any sense. They're misogynistic and they're awful. And they're like, well, they're the only thing that I could connect to my yeah. dad. Like my dad liked them, but for me, like my dad liked a lot of comedy, so that's how we related to each other. So yeah, I saw Monty Python's Quest for the Holy Grail like probably a thousand times, and I didn't understand. Like I'd repeat some of the things out loud, thinking that they were funny, but I didn't understand what they meant. Like um, now we've seen the violence inherent in the system. Help, help! I'm being repressed. Like I didn't know what that meant until I was probably in my twenties, but I still repeated it constantly. Yeah. Yeah, it, like it was the same thing with me. I I had friends that would like quote the entire like uh, unladen swallow scene, yes. and I was like, I don't know what any of this means. What are you doing to me? And the knights who say me. Um, you mentioned the Eddie Murphy thing. How did you did you watch his recent hosting? Uh no. You know, I've, I've completely fallen out of love with SNL in recent years. I think it got well largely because it's hard to get on tv it's hard to screen in canada mm. without like as a, on a streaming service like you have to actually watch it live and yeah again as a performer it's really hard to be at home and i'd become a thing yeah yeah exactly you're, you're just out working truly and um yeah so so i haven't fallen out of love with it largely but uh yeah no i loved uh, the buckwheat sketch buckwheat sings it was so funny mm. And, um, Do you have a favorite SNL cast member from, like, historically? Oh, my goodness. There's so many. Um, I, Will Ferrell and Cherry O'Terry. Loved her. Like, the limit, the writing of Tina Fey, obviously. Uh, Phil Hartman. And, uh, obviously, Chris Farley. Adam Sandler is a person who continues to... Like his his stuff is hilarious, and he continues to be very funny in that same like childish, like sort of way. I kind of wish that there had been more like ladies and people of color who are allowed to have that uh, manner of levity. Like it's almost you're you're the only ones you have to represent like every one of you, and you can't just be like you know what I mean. I wish there was more of that, like, growing up, but I think I was, like, super loved the absurdity of of Adam Sandler. I love him. Yeah, there must be, like, a huge, like, pressure historically when it comes to uh, women and people of color to, like, to be the voice of their, you know, respective gender, race, or whatever. Like, yeah, instead you're of white like, dudes can one. just do whatever we want. Like, yeah. <laughs> which i mean you're allowed to be silly you're allowed to be weird and out there like i i put this in my bio for toronto sketch fest because i just like being like 
weird and silly and, and coming up with strange things. And I had a teacher say that I, I was being annoying or I was Carol Burnett on acid is how he described me. And it's like, because there's no other frame of reference for someone being just as silly as the dudes in my sketch group. Like I was in a sketch group with three other guys and they were just as absurd and high energy and much of a ding dongs as I was, but I was the one who was annoying or, you know, I was supposed to, yeah be behaving in a certain way that I wasn't. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, that whole thing at, that, you know, historically that, that you know, old um, Jerry Lewis, like, mentality of women aren't funny, like, that totally isn't true. It does come from, like, that historical, like, like, girls aren't, like, allowed to be funny as kids, I feel like. It's, yeah. As much as guys are. It's changing now, but I think yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's there's there's certain gender roles that you're meant to adhere. I also find this and this not to like go too far down this road, but I found historically as like again I, c- I come from the world of of stand up largely and and I do some sketch writing. I was fortunate enough to do some TV sketch writing and to, and to be part of this festival. It's pretty good, but. Uh, it's it's difficult dating people outside of comedy because you this will happen to be like oh you're like a guy will either be like some like like super like tough aggro or like insecure man will be like when I date men I should say but uh, they'll be like oh, threatened by being funny or they find out you're a comedian and they'll be like tell me a joke and like insist that you have to be funny it's not that doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen as much as it used to, but it certainly was when I was a new comic many, many years ago. So, um, and I, I like I always want to ask people, you know, from Canada because I'm generally a, a, an American podcast for the most part. Like I do talk to Canadians way more often than I I ever thought I would. Um, is there something from like Canadian comedy, like Canadian pop culture, that an American should seek out? Kids in the hall. Well, I mean, or that's happening right now. No, like yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. Kids in the Hall is the big thing. If you're a comedy nerd, you should know Kids in the Hall by now. Like, one hundred percent. I want a little like, I want a little like something new. Yeah, uh, have you seen the Baroness von Sketch Show? I've heard great things. Um, there's some weird streaming issues with that for us here. If IFC, I, I, yeah, uh, their IFC is apps awful. Oh, is it? <laughs> that, that's that's the weird streaming issues is that the, the app is just... Ugh. Can you get the clips on YouTube, maybe? Um, Some things. Like, I know one of my friends, like, sent me a sketch of theirs, like, as one of her favorite pieces of 2019, and it hadn't aired here yet, so... I Like, it was geo-blocked already. Weird. Because apparently, like, their, their new season, like, airs, like, October, November up there, and we don't get it down here until probably, like... March or April, I, I think oh, it should be coming weird. soon. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I 100% would say that show. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Bar- Baron Espan's sketch is so good for Americans to seek out? Uh, I think it's very universal in like in its specificity. Yeah, there's this, I don't know if you've ever seen I Think You Should Leave, which is for sure my favorite. The Tim Robinson, yeah show that's come out in a while but there's a sketch on i think you should leave that is such a like the tone of baroness von sketch like the there's that dinner like brunch thing where all the girls are taking 
uh, selfies and the group photos together. And they're like, just out with this fucking bit. You know what I mean? Like the really calling into question, like how women talk to each other. It's hard to explain comedy as um, it's hard to like break down someone's joke. It's almost like when you hear like a stand up joke read out in without inflection in a courtroom like you can't really pitch a sketch uh in a way that is um that sells it very well but i think the i think my favorite sketch of theirs it should be on youtube actually from a while ago is uh the most interesting girl in the office that's basically inside the head of the quirky girl who is in your office and basically is like living in a rom-com and everyone else around mm. is kind of annoyed by that. So it's, it's yeah. It, I don't want to spoil it, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. They, they write a really awesome song. Aurora Brown's fantastic. All right. So where do you, like, you mentioned that you you feel like more of a stand-up. So where do you get started doing comedy? Where did and I get stand-up started? Is your first, like, yeah, like, is, is stand-up your first step? Uh, from, where, well, I should explain. I'm from a small part of Canada. I'm from... Uh, the East Coast. So I'm from Prince Edward Island originally. It's a very oh. small, very small uh, province that had no comedy scene in it at all. I mean, I primarily wanted to start doing sketch because I that's I th- in my heart of hearts that's my true love is sketch. But yeah. uh, I couldn't find a way to do it. So when I was in university, I was in another bullshit province called New Brunswick in a small town <laughs> called Fredericton, Fredericton, New Brunswick. And uh, shout out to the most boring, horrible place in the world. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's not that bad, but it is pretty bad. I feel like, like I only know that name because I, I feel like there's like a minor league hockey team, which probably is Canada. So I'm sure there's a minor league hockey team, but like. Yeah, the Fredericton Fuzz Snappers. I don't yeah, know. From my Whatever, brief just, hockey fandom, I feel yeah. like that's the only reason I would know that name. I have no idea. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's it's a very, very, very small community. So I remember I'd just gone through like um like a catastrophic breakup and I was wandering through the streets of Fredericton just not knowing where my life was going to go and uh, saw an ad that said uh, we're doing a stand-up comedy night at the Capitol, which is an old dingy bar and uh, performance bar. And I just showed up and they're like, well, we don't have any girls. You can, you can go up. And I did 20 minutes of just characters and stories. And I'm sure it was, I don't remember any of it. I blacked out on stage. Uh, I'm sure it was horrible, but it got that first like adrenaline pop and then got me going. So I think my suggestion to anyone who's starting comedy, if you're in a bullshit piece of shit, nowhere place, find any open mic music or whatever, and just do whatever you want to do until they kick you out. You, your first time on stage, you got twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was way too long. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. It really helped me develop a voice fast, though, because we'd do a monthly and we'd all do like fifteen minutes, and there were four of us. Fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah, we'd all do that long. Wow. Yeah, like... we had nothing to say. Like it was, <laughs> it was bad. Like it was very bad. Like, like I can imagine going to an, like an open mic down here where everyone's getting like three or five minutes. And when you're bad, when I'm in the audience and I see someone that's bad doing three minutes, it still feels like an eternity. I can't imagine seeing a, a like someone for the first time 
and they're not good for 20 minutes. Yeah, it's a like, 2011. This is happening, and wow. we did like three monthlies, and then people liked it. Like they came out that they we'd pack the place with like 30 plus people. <laughs> like a few people were there. I mean, there were drink specials too, so that's probably part of it. But we got yeah, we had a we had a really great time. We were just a small little collective and tried doing tried doing sketch a bit there too just filling the time and we went on the road we just had our heads up our own ass because we thought we were great oh i don't know <laughs> if, uh you probably have heard of picnic face too that's an older yeah i've heard yeah i've heard of they're uh they're very funny or they were very funny while, while they were around uh but <laughs> and they've done like fantastic things since then but as individuals and as groups but uh yeah, I remember I got to Halifax. I moved to Halifax, which is the largest city in the east coast of Canada. And I moved there to Halifax after Fredericton being like, I am so funny. I am the most genius performer there ever was. Everyone at the Capitol Bar thinks I am the best comedian. I'm going to go try it at Halifax. And the folks from Picnic Face were there. And I sat like I just ate shit like so badly, so bad did like I think 15 minutes of material in about four and a half just kind of read through it so fast and embarrassed myself in front of my heroes so but it just yeah kept getting kicked down and just built up from there how was the scene in Halifax? So uh, Halifax is a fantastic place to start doing comedy, especially sketch comedy, because it was big enough that there were audiences and enough artists to participate, but small enough that you could collaborate with different people working in different media. So at the time, when I was living there, there were folks who were making video sketch. There were members of like the punk scene and the shoegaze rock scene that wanted to be a part of things. There's a yeah, the punk shoegaze people would collaborate on different shows that would bring out different audiences. So Ghost with a Boner was the brainchild of Cheryl Han, and she had occasionally collaborating was like Everardo Ramirez and the band Heaven for Real and Mark Little, and uh, she put on these variety shows that were really fun to do. They were the first kind of sketch shows I ever actually did before deciding to go to Humber for comedy school shortly thereafter. All right. And then, so you moved to Toronto for Humber College? Yeah. Uh, Humber College was great because it was a good opportunity to, first of all, like get a foothold in the city of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And it was good to meet people. Um, I think the the thing to note when people always ask, like, should I go to Humber? Should I go to Humber? But like, you don't go to learn stuff. You go to meet people and to do things. If that makes sense, it's kind of almost, it feels like a rigid kind of guided self-study because you're going to get a broad, broad swath of, of a quality experience. And then like, I mean, I went there as a stand-up hoping that I would like doing sketch and then I did and I loved it. And I met some people who I wound up working on TV shows with. So yeah, it was, it was good, but I wouldn't recommend it as like, I'm going to go there. So I'm going to meet people. So I'm going to network, blah, blah, blah. Cause like those people are very tiring. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was good. That was good. It, and it's an actual college. Like there's actual like degrees and stuff, right? Well, I mean, it's like a, it's a technical college, I think. And okay. You can, um, it's a technical college and you can, uh, go an extra year, I think, in 
Manchester, England and get a full like degree. Cause like college means something different in Canada, right? College is like right. community college to you. Yeah, no, I had a great time. I had a great time there. There's, we had some Americans there some people from Scotland, like it was a great crew, but um, I will say this and uh, this is 100% true is almost every single successful person who's ever gone there has not graduated. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's one of those things. Yeah, I, I feel like it's one of those uh, scenarios where you find your crew, you get your feet wet into something, and then you just go and and, and move on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um. so uh, what's the next, what's the first thing that you do in Toronto after uh, Hummer? Like, uh, shoot. Um. Honestly, what I did was I took off from Toronto for a bit. I went... Um, I went to the Middle East. I lived in Oman for a little while, and um, I wound up doing some stand-up out there. And then I did some stand-up in London and in Scotland. Wait, we, we, need, we need to hold on. Like, stand-up in Oman? Yeah. I I never would have thought that was a thing. Yeah, they have expat bars in Moscow. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's an expat so, bar. All right, so what's the difference between an expat bar in Oman versus, you know, where you started in Halifax and then in Toronto? Um, expat bar in Oman was uh, very interesting because there's people from many different backgrounds from all over the entire world who have flung themselves to a very strange place to be for uh, most of the people I met and myself included. So it was very much a what do you want from me kind of situation. Mm. <laughs> um, I only really did one show there. I was, I was there as a I wound up writing a one-woman show about why I went out there, but that was fun. And then London crowds were hilarious. Oh, can I tell you this story about? Tell me everything. Go for oh. it. Okay, so when I was in Glasgow doing stand-up, um, I did a show called at Yes Bar, and they have two shows. One is at seven, and one is at eleven. And you're allowed to stay for both shows if you go. And there's a thing about Glasgow that I was told there, and I'm sorry if there are any listeners who are from Scotland who will say, you're being awful. This is what I was told. I was told that they don't, you, no one says no to you being overserved. Like, you don't, you will be overserved if you want to be. Sure. So, okay. Certain places. So there's a guy who was in the front row. And by the time I went up for my first set at seven o'clock, he uh, had drank an entire bottle of wine to himself and was asleep on the stage when I got up there. And then by the time the 11 o'clock rolled around, he was still there and then woke up halfway through my set and went, Oh, what a American. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not American. I'm Canadian. And he goes, Oh, what a seal hunt. And then passed out again. A seal hunt? Yeah. That is a very obscure thing to think about, about Canada. But yeah. Like, is that their nickname for Canadians? No, um, there was some, so uh, the Inuit in nor- in Northern Canada um, yeah. subsist, well, hunt seal. And there was a huge, huge thing in the 90s where like Paul McCartney came to Canada to be like, stop hunting seal. They're just babies. But it's like, it was completely misconstrued. And now it actually completely destroyed like a lifestyle for an entire group of people, like a huge amount of people. It's actually really problematic. But yeah, it, it like I'm sure it's a major backbone for like the indigenous world not like making a fur coat. Yeah, I mean like the it's there's the, it's a lifeline. I mean I'm not Inuit I'm not an Inuk, so it's like not my place to say, but it's very important to their 
culture because you make like use seal skins to make mitts and stuff and like you can eat the seals actually like really high i don't know if you've ever had it but seals actually like really super high in protein Mm. like seal trade like seal fur and seal meat trade it's almost impossible for them to do now and it's a huge part of the economy in some northern areas so it's highly problematic anyway so this man knows none of the like inter the indigenous slash canada relations uh politics and just was very drunk on a stage in Glasgow, but it was very interesting. And then, um, yeah, and then I did. I wrote a one woman show, and so it was a solo show. And what that was, was that about? It was about flinging myself across the world, and about my background, and about domestic abuse a bit. Cool. And uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a whole thing. And then that went really well. And then, um. And we got had a couple more sketch troops, wrote stand up, and then I wrote on a CBC Canada show called Tall Boys. That was very, very fun. And um, and then I wrote on another Canadian comedy show called Baroness Von Sketch. And then um, I applied to be in the Toronto Sketch Fest this year as a solo act. Oh, yeah, because for a while I was in a, a troupe called um, Boys Club, but it was like mostly women in it. We we're Boys Club, we ran a, a weekly show at a place in Toronto called Comedy Bar. And it was, we call it like a comedy fever dream. So basically like anything went. So like once you know, each troop member would pick like a week and it would be our week as a theme. So like one of mine was a time travel. Like I wrote a whole one hour long runner about time travel. Like it was based on Terminator. And we did another one where we were like all living in a mine and everyone in the audience had to have like a light on their head. That was like before my time um they didn't yeah they did another one sorry so how did boys clubs get together um humber honestly okay well like i was in a troop in humber called respect cops and um with three other dudes and uh two of them joined boys club and then my very good friend who's now on a canadian tv show called kim's convenience he was in it too and uh yeah, a bunch of other kids that I knew from Anya. Or from Anya. Anya is one of the names of the people. <laughs> Cut mm. I love you, Anya Davis. Anya and a bunch of other women that I know were in it as well. So it was a huge, huge, huge group. And um, yeah, and so we were able to do put on like a variety show every week that was sketch related. And we took that to a couple festivals. We went to, we did Montreal together. And then I got a, and then I got a job on Top Boys. And then I got a job on Baroness. And now I'm doing a solo show. So, like, what's the formal process of getting the job on Tall Boys? Uh, honestly, it was because I knew very close with all of them. And sure. Yeah, very close with all of them. And they were bringing in creative consultants in the first. So, for season one, it was, like, not confirmed that they were going to get it. So, um, they were bringing in, like, creative consultants and things like that. And, honestly, I lucked into it because their script supervisor couldn't do it one day and I was available. So I went in as a script supervisor and then they're like, you can pitch sketches if you want. And then um, I just wound up doing punch up on stuff on some things. Um, I don't know how wholly uh, useful I was, if I'm honest, uh, I was very nervous. And, um, and then from there I met the uh, creative producer slash head writer and she got me to submit a packet into Baroness. And then that's how I got in there. The sense of being a creative consultant versus being like, like full time writing staff is punch up, submitting yeah, stuff when you can, but you're not in the room full time. 
Yeah, like you're basically there on a contract basis. And like, so basically by union rules, that like if you're a creative consultant or a script editor, you can't start sketches yourself, like legally, like you have to be fully, uh, it's not a under your title. So basically like if you and I were going to write a sketch and you were a staff writer, or I was a staff writer and you were the script editor, like what I would do is you'd pitch an idea and I'm like, I like that idea, but I'm not going to write it. You are. So I'd go um, interior, bedroom, day, and then hand it to you and you'd write the whole thing. And then it'd be listed mm-hmm. as like a co-production between you and I. That's basically the difference. And yeah, and the full staff, full on writers are just full-time staff plus, yeah, when you're a creative consultant or a script editor um, or whatever, like you're just, you're kind of a contract worker, day player person. Yeah. So weird question. Is there a, like a Canadian screenwriters guild? Yes. Or like, is there a, is it a Canadian version of the American thing or is it a completely separate guild? Uh, it's called the Writers Guild of Canada. Okay. And I think it's separate. Okay. Hmm. I, and so, so all that like creative consulting is just basically like rules within that guild and the yeah. TV like rules that yeah, take exactly. back to 1950 something. For sure. And like, I, I definitely don't want to like mischaracterize myself as being like a full-time staff writer on all these shows. Cause I'm very emerging in my television writing career. Very, mm-hmm. very emerging. So it's very fortunate enough to be brought into those spaces and to learn how they work and to be able to work in them. Um, but yeah, highly emerging. And, but that is like when, but I guess this is a good thing to like, let people who are emerging know that like, you know, when you, um, when you when you're watching like your favorite show or whatever, you'll see like story editor in the credit or it or whatever, and that's usually be like staff writer, story editor, uh, creator, producer. Like you start learning what those what those words mean. So it's like something could be written by one person, but it likely was punched up by three different people. You know? Yeah, the idea that like at least you know from what I've learned and what I know from listening to commentaries and podcasts, like the the written by is like the first draft and then it goes through like all the processes of being rewritten by the room rewritten by the showrunner like there's so many extra steps of written by yeah you get the network notes too and Uh, i think it's interesting that you like got your foot in the door as a creative consultant because like i've heard like one of the ways of like being the writer's assistant where you're stuck getting the coffee and the lunch orders and stuff it really like I I honestly like I it's just because like I did I did stand up with I went to school with two of the guys and I did stand up with two of the guys for like years and years and years and years and when they I happened to be in the right place at the right time and got brought in and then was in the right place at the right time and that led to me meeting someone where I was able to like submit a packet and get in to somewhere else like I mm. I really truly feel like a lot of a lot of what uh, success in com- I shouldn't say success because I'm very emerging and the Lord knows if I'll ever get another writing job ever again in my life. <laughs> but, like, fingers crossed, you do. But, like, um, it really is all, like, being – well, that's what they say, right? It's, 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 it's being prepared for the opportunities that come. Like, being in the right place at the right time but being ready for that. So just always be, like, working or, like, what I would highly, highly, highly recommend because I definitely missed out on something because I didn't have this – I would recommend having like your own pilot written and a feature if you can. 
like have your own stuff in the background, just ready to go. Cause sometimes that's what, like, you'll just, maybe you'll be like, you and your troop will be somewhere and they really liked your set and they're like, oh, well, I like your voice. Or the, someone will see you do stand up and they're like, oh, I thought that was great. Or you'll just be in conversation with someone. Like you wind up at like a Netflix party or like you're at a festival and you wind up talking to someone who books something or whatever, like not in a networky way, but in a way where you just wind up in a conversation they're like, oh crap, that's what you do. It's like, oh yeah, that's what I do. Just have that stuff in your back pocket to be able to toss out there. Cause like there are lots of people looking for content, not necessarily unsolicited, but there's lots of people looking for content. You just got to like create your own and be able to sh- like, not necessarily that that'll like, not necessarily that your thing will get made, but like, it's good to have that stuff in your back pocket to show off what your voice is so that they kind of know what your writing voice is. Yeah, I think um, was I, I had some friends, uh, Pure and Weary, that they're a sketch duo from Chicago, and they got into a festival, I think in like Austin, Texas, and there was management there, and the managers went up to them like, "Hey, you guys need to move to LA." Like, like that was one of the things. Like, you need to be in the, like the major portions, like where most of entertainment's made, either LA, New York, Toronto for Canadians, yeah, and be available. And have stuff like have a back pocket full of ideas and spec scripts and like a ton of work already done before you like do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you got to have a lot of work already done, but like not even they don't even want specs anymore, man. They want to know what you can actually create because there's such a there's such a um, what's the right word I'm looking for. There's such a hunger for content now. I find especially because everything's going streaming based. So like all of the networks and various platforms are going streaming based and they're, they're content driven. They're not, you don't create necessarily a brand loyalty. Like there's a reason. The only reason why I got Disney plus is because I wanted to watch the Mandalorian, right? Like I, <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. And then all the other things on it are just a, a feature of that. So like, especially now that everything's going to be like, like Netflix used to be a hub for a lot of like streaming things, but now it's going to be leaning to more towards original content because a lot of the networks are pulling out to create their own streaming services. So yeah. there's a, a big hunger in the industry for original content. And I don't know how long this boom is going to last. So like just write your heart out right now. Cause basically they're looking for like, I don't know, like why do you have Netflix? Cause I wanted to see Russian doll. Like it's not because I wanted Netflix itself. It's because I wanted to watch something that only they had. So I think that, yeah. So having, having something in your back pocket that you can like pitch as marketable that is like engaging enough content to pull something into a platform is, is something that would be worth putting into development necessarily for people. I don't know. What am I talking about? Again, I'm super emerging. I'm hyper emerging. So but take that's great. Like, do you like, so what was the po- the packet process for when you uh, got offered to apply for Baroness? Okay. So they do, I think they do it um, annually because I feel like I submitted before. No, I missed the window last year, okay. um, the year before. Uh, they just, they put out a call, like a general call looking for like, a, I mean, there's another like long running Canadian TV show called This Hour's 22 Minutes, but usually like a, a packet will be like, can you write three blackouts, um, two sketches with two people in it um, and a, a group what, like it'll just be like it'll, yeah it'll just be various lengths of things so it's just like we need a we need a something that would yeah we need two blackouts th- I think Baroness it was like we need three sketches and two blackouts and all that uh, but uh, with 
I think um, with another place with this hour's 22 minutes, I think last year it was like we need 15 desk jokes, two sketches, and a bunch of um, monologues as well. Like it so just, you've it, applied to this hour has 22 minutes? No, I have not. Okay. Good. Just you just know what that practice is. I'm okay. just, yeah, I'm just trying to like give examples of other mm-hmm. of of what I've seen other like call call outs. I've always been so curious of writing like the packet as like an exercise of like just seeing what I could do, what I could come up with. And the the 15 desk jokes. Like those monologue jokes, those desk jokes are always like my, like, it's always my mountain to climb because I hate them so much. They're so hard. They're so like, hard. Right? <laughs> and like comedy, in my opinion, comedy has, doesn't age like wine. It ages like milk. Like it, it gets really bad really fast. So a desk joke, especially its expiry date is the next day after you've written it. Yeah. It's really hard to it's really hard to write something that is relevant for right now that will also last. So absolutely, I, yeah, absolutely. I do not have that skill. I would love to have maybe I'll work on it. Twenty. Yeah, when it, like whenever I do. see like a sketch or uh, or a comedian like do topical stuff like like and I've written show like I've written sketches for topical shows, but it, it always feels like oh. I'm done with this. Like I can never do this again. This yeah. is no like uh, back like a year ago when there was a, that major hurricane in Houston. I wrote a sketch as the pastor of the church that didn't open its doors to people to like as as a shelter, and there was a big mega church that used to be a, a basketball stadium, and everyone's like, you could have housed five thousand people comfortably. And he like they just locked the doors for like four days. What? And the the dude's response was like, "Oh, like oh, no one was working, no one was there." Blah, like blah blah blah. Like, what are they gonna steal? It was such a, like a subpar answer, like why they weren't doing like the fundamental mission of a church. So I wrote a sketch about it, but like, and I did it like at that show, and it was just like, oh, okay, I can't do that ever again. Like that was just a one time. No, it's not. Fleeting moment. Like, did you not? It's not. This is what I will tell you this too. Hold on to fucking everything you've ever written. Hang on to it. Keep it in the back because you can rewrite it. Like, there's one, yeah. one in particular. I will tell you this. There's a sketch that made it to TV. Um, I don't know. Yeah, there's a, a very good friend of mine, wonderful person, Vance Banzo, uh, is on Tall Boys. He's one of the creators. He wrote, he did a monologue a number of years ago for a character sketch where he played a penny, um, like a Canadian penny and compared it to what it's like to be like, he's an indigenous person. So like he's Cree Soto. So it was, it was uh, comparing being an indigenous person to being a penny. And it was a very fun character that he did. And then he hung on to it for a really long time. So when they started writing the show, he turned it into a game show that was turned into a viral sketch. So like, it's just, it was just some, it was just a character that he'd read in in like god was it 2016 yeah in 2016 that he wound up using on a like in as a seed for something that would grow into being a viral video in 2019 so hang on to everything hang on to, i do the, the same thing with stand-up jokes honestly like i'll sometimes i'll put 
um, something in the back burner that it wasn't a really good joke and it didn't work very well. And then I'll look at it like two, three, four years later and I'm like, oh, in the context of like who I am now or what's going on, I can actually polish this and use it again. So Yeah, absolutely. Like I went, I, so I started doing comedy here in, in Philadelphia, like 2012-ish. And then after this really rough show that I, I was a part of, I took a break. And after that break, I came back and I asked a couple of the people I really trust. I was like, hey, um, so what's like the statute of limitations on sketches I did years ago? Can I bring them out of mothballs? Can I like put them back up on their feet and stuff? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Do it. Like, yeah, there's no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go do whatever you want. We don't care. Like, I think the only problem with that is like, uh, when there's someone that's like such a huge consumer of comedy and go to all the shows, like I know there are certain sketches that I've seen so many times that I'm tired of. Like if I see a certain group over and over again, like I'm always worried about that more than anything now. Like, well, let me just say that, that happens so rarely. Like, let me just tell you this. Let me just say this is, um, I feel like Philadelphia is the Halifax, uh, equivalent. Like I've, I've I know that it's a much bigger city, but like, it, that's that probably is a very fair in terms uh, of analogy what what i will say is i was always so debilitatingly paranoid that of reusing jokes or reusing sketches because there's you only see the same small amount of troops or yeah, absolutely comics and so they've seen your stuff over and over again so there's this like push to always be doing new things but then you forget when you get to when you go on tour or when you like, I just got off of a tour and I was digging up stuff that I hadn't done in Toronto in like a year. Like you just, you, you hang on to all that stuff and then you do it in a new environment. Like you might be sick of it, but, and those people might be sick of it, but that's not who it's for. It's for the new audiences that you're, you're coming up to. Yeah. Was, like there was a, a team here in Philadelphia that I've seen this one sketch over and over again. And when I found out that they were actually putting it on film and putting like making a YouTube video of that sketch, I was finally like, Oh, thank God. I never have to see that live again. Like, Oh, because they're making a video like no, you'll see it live again i don't think i will because yeah. i've 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 actually said that to them out loud like oh good now i never to see this performed like i've seen it 10 times I, now it's on youtube we're okay we're done with it um fun to do actually i know what i would suggest if you wanted to do like a comedy fundraiser or something like that is um especially if there's older troops or older people in your comedy community get everybody together who's seen all of each other's stuff before and then try to do each other's sketches mm, yeah it is very fun to try because <laughs> you know it but you don't so <laughs> you go to do it it's almost like when you try to sing a pearl jam song like you think you know the pearl jam song and then you wind up going hey yeah you know? not knowing any word yeah you can yeah yeah i have no clue what the words of jeremy are so is what I, yeah, I don't even like i know it's jeremy i don't know what that next word is at all like yeah, is it spoken Hol- is it hear me whole hey hey is what the words are like yeah it's whatever it's fine um so you're performing at at least when i see you at, in toronto uh for Sketchfest this year you're performing as part of the, the flying solo show that's the show i'm gonna see so Ooh. tell me about what people can expect from this, from your solo act at Toronto Sketchfest. Okay, so I'm like really into like demons and cults right now. So there's going to be some of that a bit. Um, working on a song, a song parody thing. 
that I like very much that I do that's good, I think, I like. And <laughs> also, I want to. I like making the audiences feel really good, so I have, like, a sing-along song about sometimes, okay, so sometimes I write sketches that are about, like, parts of my life, especially growing up in, like, a weird island that I did, like, stories that I that are based on stories that I tell that I wish weren't true like audiences don't so like when I was young one time one time when I was young I should say um a guy from uh a neighborhood caught he's a fisherman and he caught a baby shark and he brought it for all the kids to see in a trash can so I saw like a small shark in a trash can so I've written something around that (laughs) like Yeah, I mean, it's hard to describe. I'm high energy. I'm fun. I don't know. I like singing. I don't know. I feel like everybody else is going to be way better than me. Uh, and you're doing that flying solo, um, like showcase the first weekend and another show is the second weekend. Is there a difference between the two that well, you're scheduled? Okay, so this is being, being a professional lady now. So the flying solo show is each one of us are doing 15 minutes and director Kirsten Rasmussen is going to weave together all of our sketches is part of a larger review. So it's going to be kind of a through line to it. Um, so I'm not, we haven't fully unpacked what that's going to look like yet. So that's I think okay. a little bit, uh, a little bit silly about it. Cause honestly, we're, we're, we go into rehearsals this week. So okay. uh, it'll be, we'll know more soon. But uh, yeah, and my solo show is a little bit longer. It's split with someone else who's on the flying solo show. Um, and I think my, my solo show includes more like visuals. Yeah. So that the second weekend's definitely a, a fuller presentation yeah. for you. More robust. Yeah, it's a, smaller, it's a smaller stage. So I'll have less moving around to do. So there'll be more visuals rather than... <laughs> that makes sense? I don't know. Absolutely. Um... You mentioned just coming off of tour. What was that tour? So I was on tour with the Indigenous Performing Arts Alliance um, doing stand-up sketch, and there's a musician named Nick Sherman. I don't know if you like, if you're into folk, Nick Sherman. Oh, my God. So good. Uh, and Kevin Chawanda, who is a stand-up comedian. We went to a bunch of places in northern Ontario um, and did sketch workshops and did stand-up. And we got our van stuck in the snow. A bunch and um met some really awesome people and um really reminded me while teaching the workshops really reminded me why i love sketch so much touring northern ontario in the winter time yeah feels not the best idea oh my god if you're gonna do canada do canada right do canada (laughs) i mean no, yeah. If you're going to do Canada, do Canada right. Go to the cold bits. Go to where the snow is. We drove across an ice road. I'd never done that before. I've lived in Canada for the majority of my life. The, uh, there, one of the nations that we visited was Bear Island, and it is only accessible uh, via boat in the summer and via ice road where you drive clean across the lake for 15 minutes on, on ice. Terrifying. Well, everybody thinks that, but then it's fine. Like it's people like it wouldn't be you wouldn't be able to do it if people died all the time, right? Like, <laughs> that's the way you got to look at it. We were a little bit nervous cuz it was plus two. Well, mm, I don't know how fair I don't know how your thing works. It was above plus 2 Celsius would be about like 35 Fahrenheit, I think. Okay. Yeah, roughly. so 35 Just above freezing. So it's just above freezing for most of our time up north. So we were terrified about driving clean across a lake 
when it's not even cold enough to freeze ice, right? Absolutely, yeah. And that would be my first thought too, is that like, oh, it's now just above freezing. Ice is no longer a thing. Like, yeah, we got a little bit scared <laughs> about it. And then um, a lady in North Bay, when we told her we were going up, she said, okay, so what you got to do is um, everybody unbuckle your seatbelts and open the doors. So if the thing goes under, right, out and you can get out. So uh, that spooked me, but not the boys yeah. I was with. They were all like, oh, it's fine. Cause they're all from up north anyways. They're from like Thunder Bay and stuff. They're like, ah, we'll be fine. And then woke up in the morning on the day we were supposed to drive across and it was minus 35, which I feel like is around the same in Fahrenheit. I think it gets to a place where they do <laughs> Where those numbers match up again? I think they do, right? I have no clue. Once you say minus, I'm I'm completely, that's already too cold for me, so... On whatever scale you're on, minus is too cold. Yeah, so minus 35 Celsius is minus 31 Fahrenheit. That's, that's yeah, that's too cold. So whatever scale that is for you, it's very cold. <laughs> that's, it is extremely that, cold, yeah. but it's great. Like, you just wear a really warm coat, and then you're very grateful that everything's frozen over. You can just drive clean across. It's so beautiful. Like, literally, like, uh, the thing about the north that's so great is, like, the sky looks longer, and the further north further 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 north you go you can see the northern lights sometimes and days get yeah it's just if you're gonna do canada do mountains do ocean do the north and but you mentioned like doing these workshops like for you know these indigenous nations and stuff like so what what kind of stuff were you working on in those workshops oh so this is why i love why i love sketch so much and this is why i love working in a room so much um that's why I love working with people that, yeah, is, uh, so what I would do is I just like, all right, so what do you guys want to talk about? Like, what are you thinking about? Like, what do you want to, what do you want to write about? And then just get everybody who wants to participate in sketch there, just throw ideas out. Like, well, I want to talk about the bylaws of having a res dog or like, I want to talk about what, um, or like, I want to talk about like the trees being alive and I want to talk about baloney i want to talk about a helicopter and like just all these different like seemingly not an actual like one consistent idea and then i like just sitting there and then hearing all of the different bits and pops of ideas and then being like okay so what if what if there's a dog catcher who's trying to catch a res dog and it turns into like a hostage situation you play and then the person's like i like that and like would you want to be the dog and you can be the bylaw enforcer and then like let them improvise it in those characters and then someone else will stand up and be like I'm the dog's lawyer like it just turns into this like it yeah I just end up having a lot of fun with it and then I sit with it and then write it down and then um everybody goes off for a while and then I write it into sketches and we rehearse it and then we perform it for the community very cool afterwards yeah it's like I would love. It's very fun for participants. It's very fun for me as well. I very much enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think that's the best way to do sketches. Come at it from an improv style, and also from a, like there are no bad ideas. This is all made up. It's stupid. Like none of it. None of this matters, and all of it matters. Like it. I don't know why people take people take comedy so seriously sometimes. And honestly, like you have to take. A step back like I was at a I was at a function in the fall where I was speaking with two animators from a cartoon studio in Toronto mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and we're kind of discussing how like ridiculous the arguments you'll get into are about comedy. Like they were saying that they got into a very heated discussion about how much of a squirrel's butthole to show <laughs> their cartoon. Like days of heated, angry discussion about this. And like yeah, like I I remember like I had one day where I was working on a TV show and they brought in a sketch for me and they're like, okay, so this is a sketch has got a shark in it. Um, come up, figure out how to rewrite it where we don't have to use a shark. And I'm like, well, can I still use an animal? And they're like, what animal? I'm like, bear? Maybe. Bees? No. <laughs> like, ah, oh, man, but it'd be funny if it was bees. How are we going to do bees? I don't know. Well, then <laughs> think of something else. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you get to the TV level, there's um, a practicality that needs to take over. Yeah. Sharks are are very hard to work with. Yeah. Anybody has got a shark idea. Yeah. Like really with any, with anything you're working with, you're always constrained by your medium. Yeah. Be it finances, be it stage, be it like animation, whatever it happens to be. Uh, Yeah. One time we, uh, I was in a show and uh, one of the other writers on the team had a sketch about a lobster visiting a doctor's office. So she went to a supermarket and bought a lobster. Gross. But we didn't realize that the live, the live slowly dying lobster would be the same color as the chair in the venue. So no one actually saw him. Oh, what a horrible way to die. Uh, and then at the end of the show, someone was like, "Was there? A, was that an actual lobster?" And they went home and cooked it and oh. had it for a late dinner. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what kind of a what? Li- what kind of a day in life would that be? Yeah. Oh my goodness! You could do a whole sketch about that. We all thought having a lobster would be such a funny thing. Until we got there and we put him on the chair that it was going to be on. And I'm like, oh. The poor thing. He completely camouflages and we we don't. It's the same color. No one in the back row will see him. It has no idea. <laughs> you forgot that. Either. You forget that a live lobster isn't bright red. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> or make a costume. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as we're winding down here, I always ask the same people, the people the same questions to close out our interview. Uh, first off, you've mentioned a few things already, um, but what's a piece of advice that you would give to a new sketch comedy writer? Keep writing. Write all the time. Write constantly. Write with friends. Do improv. Write by yourself. Do stand-up. Write constantly. Always write. Cons- like, um, And take breaks. Oh, that's, yeah, write all the time, but also take breaks. Like, I think the best thing that I ever did for my career was I just took off from Toronto for like a year after. Mm. like things got really big and things are happening whatever and I just took off and just like lived for a while because I've, I've, even some of the things that are coming up in conversation with you I'm noticing are like oh I don't want to be doing this this troop or is it okay if I reuse this or this and this and this you will not give a shit about that if you just take off for a while you're allowed to take breaks look after yourself but like also don't stop writing like in whatever and I mean like there's a good way to look at it is like, if you write three lines in the morning, eventually you'll have a pilot. If you write a whole page in the morning, eventually you have a pilot. If you have write 
one sketch today or write three sketches the next day, write one sentence the next day, or just constantly working like within your own capacity. But like, yeah, keep, keep moving, but also know your limits and try not to get too bogged down in the community drama. Like that is 100% the, like, I mean, it's hard advice to do, but like, it's re like, I would say that's the downfall of a lot of young comedians. I notice is like, you get to, it's like, I don't know, that person doesn't like me or I slept with this person and now they're here <laughs> or like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Com- community like, drama definitely can be a killer for sure. So that's why it's good to have like things outside of comedy that are yours and eventually that'll lead into what you write about right like if you become really good at like i don't know freaking D. i'm like i'm trying to think of like anything i couldn't think of literally anything else other than comedy i don't know like you get really into baking or like you start or you just start end up meeting people and doing things that inspire you to write outside of comedy because otherwise it exists in this like vacuum where you're all just making fun of each other and it doesn't make sense. Yeah, one like when I started asking that question, like early, rarely on in the podcast run, I was really surprised that one of the people, I, the one of the first people I talked to, like episode like twenty something, he mentioned taking the cooking class. Like he was like, just do anything that's not comedy at least one night a week. Like yes. cooking class, go to a sporting event, do anything that's not comedy. Otherwise, your well is going to run dry. Like, and I was like, oh. I wasn't expecting that, but it absolutely 1000% makes sense. Yeah. Do yoga one night a week. Take a bus. Like, take the bus a different route than you normally would. Like, yeah, meet people outside of comedy. For sure do that. Uh, Like, yeah, that's 100%. Look after yourself. Know your limits. Try not to drink too much. No one (laughs) in five years, the person, like, this is what I will say. In five years... Um, someone that doesn't like you will either not be doing it anymore or will be wildly more successful than you. And there's nothing <laughs> you can do about it. <laughs> try to be nice and do your work. Uh, and finally, um, why comedy? Like, why is comedy your chosen life path? Oh, God. I... That is such a big question. Because there has been so much sadness and trauma and real life and bullshit in my entire life. And the best thing ever to me is just like, you know what? Everything's fucked up and it's getting to be even more fucked up. So let's pretend we're dogs for a minute. Like who gives a shit? We're all have a minute where like everything's just fun for a while. You know, it really like gets endorphins going and it makes, it's a good way to make community. It's a good way to like, like I love hanging out with people who are funny or like a funny is a specific type of like smart too that are like, yeah, I don't know. It's a good community. She says, as she just said, don't get too involved in community, but it's like, it's, it's a good community. It, uh, it making, okay, this is it. This is the real thing. And I'll, I'll stop <laughs> after this. Cause this is what I'm trying to articulate. Like when you're creating comedy, especially on stage, the audience and you create like one being or one thing that will never exist in the same way ever again you're creating this artwork together like they're giving you like laughter and attention and they're showing you like what parts of your work are good and you're like 
creating an experience for them. And like, you're never going to have that exact experience ever, ever, ever again. It's a unique, beautiful, wonderful, energizing feeling because you're not going to get the same groups of people there. It'll be performing in different venues. Maybe like if you're there with your troupe, like you'll, someone will make a joke that you didn't make before or some line that you wrote that you never thought was funny lands different. Like you're so sick of saying it, but it just hits in a way or you mm-hmm. sit in something like you're just, you're creating something that's so unique to that moment. And it's, that's a good way to like, yeah. Shove out the darkness that lies everywhere within all of us. Thanks, Meg. You can follow Meg on Twitter at Meg McKay Comedy. That's M-A-C-K-A-Y. And like her on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Meg McKay Comedy. If you're going to Toronto Sketchfest, you can see Meg on Sunday, March 8th as part of Flying Solo, an International Women's Day spectacular, and then a longer set on Saturday, March 14th. For information on all those shows and everything else happening at Toronto Sketchfest, head to tosketchfest.com. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band No-No, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds.